Exploring the intersection of liberty and character. Welcome to the Reed Hour with Lawrence W. Reed. Welcome to the Reed Hour on the Loving Liberty Network. This is your host, Lawrence Reed from the Foundation for Economic Education. I recently assumed a new position there as President Emeritus after nearly 11 years as president. So for me, it's a new chapter with hopefully more time to write and to speak and to do this radio show. Uh, My producer, Brian Hyde, as is the custom, is on uh, the line with me at this moment. And Brian, uh, we always talk about a hero uh, in the first block. And this one is one of my favorites. I wrote about him in my book, Real Heroes. And I think you're going to enjoy uh, hearing about him, too. I, you know, I can appreciate not only the fact that as, as I read the story of this man in, in Real Heroes, uh, my heart was touched. But, Larry, he is such a good guy that I actually had to has, ask for help in how to pronounce his name because he is of Polish origin. And, and that can be a pretty difficult language. So help our listeners with, with the name of this week's hero. OK, his name was Father Jerzy Papayushko. P-O-P-I-E-L-U-S-Z-K-O. <laughs> so, I doubt that there are many people who could repeat that spelling, but Jerzy Papayushko was his name. You mentioned that he was a Polish priest and in his early years probably would not have struck a lot of people as a likely future hero. Why was that? Well, he was short. He was frail. He was rather sickly. He was introverted. He was of average intellect. Uh, And he, at an early age, decided he wanted the quiet life of a priest. So you wouldn't guess uh, in his late teens that this was a young man who could muster the kind of courage that he ultimately did and become such a revered hero uh, in Poland to this day. Now, as as a young man growing up in Poland, post-World War II, there were a lot of difficulties faced. And tell me a little bit about uh, about how he in, incorporated into life. What were some of the, the challenges that, that he faced as he grew up? When the Soviets invaded uh, Poland in 1945, uh, late in the um, uh, World War II, uh, that began the dark uh several decades of Poland as a communist country. So uh, Father Papiuszko grew up in a communist country, but as a young man, he understood the importance of of freedom. When he was uh, drafted into the Polish military, his studies at seminary were interrupted for a brief time, and there he saw firsthand uh, the brutality of a, a communist atheist regime. Uh, There were many priests in the Polish military, and they suffered uh, for their uh, Christian faith. I guess that would have been pretty common then. To to openly practice religion essentially was putting a target on your back. Absolutely. The communist regime uh, segregated uh, seminary students within the military, so they'd be apart from uh, the other uh, uh, young military people. And that was intended to diminish their influence within uh, the uh, military. They didn't want them uh, making Christian converts of the other soldiers. And they routinely mistreated them. They subjected them to humiliating uh, ridicule. Uh, Papiushko demonstrated a remarkable resilience in spite of his uh, being so sickly uh, uh, and and frail at at a young age. Uh, He showed some steely defiance uh, that surprised even those who knew him best. In spite of the discrimination and the ridicule and the mistreatment at the hands of the Polish military, 
uh, prayer and Bible study even were strictly prohibited. But that made little difference to Papayushko. He openly disdained the army's uh, coercive atheistic indoctrination. Uh, he was obedient, but not to communist authorities. He was obedient to the God that he loved. Now, you, I believe in the article that you had written about him, indicated his decision to, to enter the priesthood was, was something he arrived at pretty early on in his life, right? In his late teens or something? Uh, that's right. Mid-teens. Uh, I think around age 15, he was pretty well set on uh, entering the priesthood. Uh, and uh, he was at seminary for a year when he was uh, forced into the military for two years. Uh, and to continue our discussion of the treatment that he suffered in the military, he was um, uh, forced to relinquish the cross that he wore around his neck. And because he resisted that, resisted uh, the removal of that cross, he was ordered to stand all night at attention barefoot in the snow. And from that wow. kind of uh, frequent cruelty, he emerged from the military with his health permanently damaged, but his spirits were higher than ever. Now, as I understand it, there was another famous uh, Polish man who uh, burst onto the world stage in the late 1970s, uh, and and he was actually pretty closely connected to Father Yerzy. Who was that? That was Pope John Paul II. And yes, indeed, they were very close. They knew each other very well. And in time, because of Father Yerzy's, uh, Father Yerzy's resistance to uh, the communist authorities, he became known as John Paul II's favorite priest. Uh, he personally drew great strength from the pope, uh, whom he knew well. And uh, the two of them collaborated uh, quietly and sometimes very publicly uh, to help bring down the communist regime. With Poland under that communist rule, um, the Pope John Paul II coming along, being a Polish individual himself, um, that had to send some shivers up the spines of, of leaders of that communist regime. Oh, it sure did. Within a year of his being named uh, to the papacy in September of 78, John Paul II went back to his native Poland the communist authorities resisted that. They tried to keep the crowds small. They tried to limit his itinerary. But he very bravely stood up to them, and so did the Polish people. Uh, the communist government expected maybe a few tens of thousands might show up in the square in Warsaw to hear John Paul II uh, speak there. But in fact, uh, more than a million packed into that square, and they heard John Paul II say, Be not afraid. And to this day, people who were there or people who know of it in Poland, which is just about everybody, they saw that as a sign that uh, they were to stand up for their rights. They were to speak out, speak truth to power. And that's exactly what they did. It gave birth to the um, solidarity movement and the uh, uh, push for freedom that ultimately within a decade, uh, Poland would in fact achieve. Tell us about uh, Father Jerzy Papayushko and how he stepped into the spotlight at a steel mill in 1980. What were the circumstances there? It was just a few months after John Paul II had been back to Poland and saw those massive crowds greeting him. Uh, the Solidarity Labor Movement was born, and of course it was always more than just a labor movement. It was uh, an organization promoting uh, uh, greater freedom throughout Poland, freedom of religion, speech, assembly, press, and, uh, and governance. And uh, uh, the workers in solidarity, of course, were quite restive. And uh, at one point in 1980, 
of the Polish primate, the highest ranking Catholic in uh, Poland. His name was Stefan Wyszynski. He was asked by the workers at a state-owned steel mill, one of the largest in Poland, to please send us a priest. Well, this would have been unprecedented, of course, for a priest to go on to uh, uh, the property of a state-owned steel mill and begin uh, preaching. But Wyszynski uh, uh, chose young Jerzy Papayushko, who was in his 30s, sent him into that steel mill. And from that moment on, he was known as Solidarity's favorite priest and John Paul II's favorite, favorite priest. That showed enormous courage. Tell yeah, tell us about um, the the courage that that it took to stand up because the the um, the communist authorities did not take this lightly, did they? No, they they began watching him. They began even on occasion planting weapons uh, in his apartment, staging a raid and filming it, and trying to smear him as an opponent of uh, the Polish state. Of, of course, he was, but they tried to uh, paint him as if he was uh, mounting some sort of a revolution. Uh, one of the things that Father Yerzy said, I think, uh, deserve, many of the things he said deserve repeating, but this one in particular is one of my favorites. It really sums him up uh, so well. He said, it is not enough for a Christian to condemn evil, cowardice, lies, and the use of force, hatred, and oppression. He must at all times be a witness to and defender of justice, goodness, truth, freedom, and love. He must never tire of claiming these values as a right, both for himself and for others. Well, that just summed up Father Yerzy. He, he was um, uh, an outspoken opponent of the communist regime uh, for many, many years thereafter. You know, I understand that uh, the government imposed martial law in December of 1981. What was uh, Father Yerzy's reaction to that martial law imposition? Well, you might think he would uh, shrink from... Oh, darn. Skype is giving us just a little bit of grief here. So uh, let me let me get Larry back. This was. Uh, you can even hear, you know, the, the reconnection here. So there we go. Hey, Larry, uh, the theme music is playing. Um, okay. We'll come back. And, and, and we'll pick up uh, with, with you and your guest if there are any other thoughts you want to add on Father Yerzy. Sorry about that. That was Skype pulled that uh, this morning and quit unexpectedly. We'll take a very quick break. We'll be back after this. Okay, thanks. We could all use a little help stretching our food budget. So listen close, because what I'm about to share with you is one of Salt Lake City's best-kept secrets. Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse has an astonishing selection of foods purchased from a local food distributor, from fresh produce to restaurant-quality sauces, meats, and snacks at prices below wholesale cost. Seeing is believing. Go to the Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse Facebook page and like it and follow them. That's Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse. America is built and based on liberties and freedoms. Liberty HealthShare brings that to healthcare. 
The liberty of choosing your own doctor. The liberty of choosing your own hospital. Liberty HealthShare makes health care affordable to millions of Americans. Ignite your liberty. Sharing plans starting at $199 for a single, $399 for a couple, and no matter how big the family, only $529. That's $529 for the entire family. To learn how you can save, go to LightYourLiberty.com. That's LightYourLiberty.com. Diabetes, high blood pressure, anxiety meds, everyone's on them. If you're a 50-year-old male, maybe a bit porky, and you may even have type 2 diabetes, a million dollars of term insurance may only cost you about 200 bucks a month. Call Term Provider. Speak with Big Lou at 800-444-2013. Big Lou will find a term life policy for you even if you have type 2 diabetes or overweight or have high blood pressure. Term Provider has helped thousands of people like you who think they can't afford term life insurance. To buy a million dollars of affordable term life for you, all you need to do is call Big Lou at 800-444-2013. Lou will make sure the scales are tipped in your favor. Call 800-444-2013. Big Lou will answer your call and work to fit you into a term life policy that you can afford. Remember, Big Lou's like you. He's on meds, too. Call 800-444-2013. 800-444-2013. Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 3366 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 3366. Welcome back to The Reed Hour. This is Lawrence Reed, your host. And for the next three segments, I have a fantastic guest. I've been excited about having him on the show since I first met him this past February. His name is Rick Becker. He's a businessman and plastic surgeon and a member of the North Dakota House of Representatives in which he has served since 2012. He's founder of the Bastiat Caucus of the North Dakota House named for the great 19th century French economist and statesman, Frederick Bastiat. Rick is known for his staunch defense of limited government and free enterprise. Welcome to the Read Hour, Rick. Yeah, thanks a lot, Larry. I'm happy to be on. It's my pleasure. When I first heard of the Bastiat Caucus, Rick, a few months back, I was thrilled because, as you know, FEE, the Foundation for Economic Education, has been instrumental in keeping Frederick Bastiat's classic works uh, in print and his ideas alive. Tell our listeners why you came to form the Bastiat Caucus in the North Dakota House and to name it for him. Sure. And uh, my first term was in 2013. And uh, I quickly realized that there was not any kind of cohesive sense of 
conservatism or uh, small government ideals and principles in the legislature. And, and it, it occurred to me that what I really needed to come up with a group where we would be able to get together and talk about legislation, talk about promoting these ideals. And so I had to come up with a name and I was trying to come up with something that would go back to more of a foundational principle type of approach uh, rather than you know tossing out Ronald Reagan as good as he is. Um, and so Bastiat, uh, von Mises, you know, we can go into some different ones, but Bastiat in particular, I think is really, really good for, from a legislative standpoint, not only because he was, I guess, a legislator for a couple of years, but because he talks about some of the most basic important things, which is, uh, that whole concept of legalized plunder, uh, the, the awareness, this is particularly good, that awareness of, um, in his parable of the broken window, the, the, the seen and the unseen. You know, he he sort of preempted Hazlitt and Sowell with the idea of um, you know the second stage and third stage what, that we need to look beyond immediate apparent effects. Yeah. Um, sure. And then his his obvious criticism of socialism, corporatism. I mean, you just it's hard to find a better fit for a general small government principled group of legislators than Bastia. That's right. Among his many essays uh, is uh, one entitled That Which Is Seen and That Which Is Not Seen. And that underscores the point you just made, that Bastiat was always saying, hey, don't look at only what strikes the eye or the immediate or the effects on a particular person or a few people. Look at the effects of an act or a law or a policy over the long run and all people. And you might find that uh, those long run and all people effects are, are not so good because there are a lot of things you can do that may seem to be good in the short run, but can cause disaster in the long run. Absolutely. And and some of those things, the, the, the reason that these, this protectionist type of approach, the, the corporatism, tariffs, things like that, is because the part that's seen, the only part that's easy to see are, are the proposed benefits and the that the downsides are distributed to a point that it's very difficult to appreciate them and to actually be able to pinpoint that they occurred because of whatever the policy might have been. So it's it's a very, very important concept to grasp for legislators. Yep. Uh, for our listeners' benefit, Rick, I want to remind them that uh, we have on the FEE website, FEE.org, a lot of uh, things by Bastiat. I think perhaps uh, just about everything he ever wrote, and it's all free, uh, free download or free uh, HTML. If uh, you just go to the fee website and type in his name, B-A-S-T-I-A-T, anybody can find a whole lot of great material. Now, you uh, are a successful businessman and a surgeon. So what made you decide to go into politics? Well, that's... Uh... I guess really it's a confluence of events, um, nationally, uh, statewide, and in my personal life. Uh, you know, if, if, if we go back to say 2008, 2009, uh, we had the, the housing bubble meltdown and we had um, George Bush doing his TARP and getting really involved with economic stimulus and, and you know, state involvement. And then the election of Barack Obama and then, you know, tripling down on that whole state involvement and the rise of the Tea Party, which I was involved with right off the bat. Um, 
and then um, the Affordable Care Act, and it goes on and on, and uh, the quantitative easing. I mean, there was just no end to it. And at the same time, what was occurring in North Dakota was that we had, with the advent of fracking and high oil prices, a dramatic boom in our economy and, and dramatic increases in revenues. And what I saw was, uh, at the same time that the uh, the, the nation was having profligate spending, so was my own state, which was allegedly a very conservative state. State spending dramatically increased in the 2009 session, the 2011 session. In North Dakota, by the way, we meet only every other year. I always tell people that means we can only do half the damage. But um, so, so those types of things were, were occurring. I was very alarmed at, at our increasing spending um, that we were taking that approach rather than giving tax relief with this new onset revenue. And then in, in my personal life, I was going through a divorce. I was looking at new opportunities. And and I happened to, for whatever reason, I was open to the moment, you know, the open to the universe. And and within just a day or two uh, of, of each other, I, I was listening to Glenn Beck, and he was talking about making a difference in the world. And I listened to an excerpt from one of Steve Jobs' speeches, and he was talking about making a difference in the world. And although I was coming into the most, um, um, the, the busiest part of my career, the most lucrative, um, really the opportunity arose because in 2010 with the census redistrict, redistricting, um, I was cast into an entirely new legislative district that had no legislators. And so opportunity uh, knocked. And uh, so I jumped in. Hey, that uh, reminds me of something that uh, George Washington Plunkett once said uh, uh, he was uh, a Tammany Hall politician, not one that you or I would uh, particularly like, but he said, I seen my opportunities and I took them. So that's what you did. <laughs> now, yeah. most people in the other 49 states, uh, I think, do regard North Dakota as one of the more conservative, maybe even libertarian minded uh, states. Uh, in spite of that spending increase that you mentioned, uh, is that still a, a fairly accurate description of the prevailing political sen sentiment up there, conservative if not libertarian? Well, it's interesting because you have to look at the citizenry versus the elected officials. The citizenry, I think, does tend to be more conservative, more small government, more libertarian. Um, and the problem is that the legislator, legislators, the elected officials, aren't really behaving that way. And so we've got, and, and we can talk about this more if you like, but we, the Republicans have supermajority in both houses, the governorship, every single statewide elected office, and every uh, congressman and senator for, for U.S. Republicans own everything. And yet we, we've seen uh, exactly what's happened, which is tremendous, tremendous spending. So as an elected body, we are anything but conservative. Uh, however, that's not necessarily reflective of the people. Wow. Well, I want to come back to that, Rick, uh, in a moment after the break. But uh, uh, I mean, that, that, that is so uh, indicative, isn't it? Uh, uh, around the country, you see that, that people uh, uh, send uh, conservative or libertarian-minded Republicans to a legislature only later to find that they uh, are pandering to some of the same spending interests that the Democrats uh uh, always cave into or, uh, and support. So, well, uh, we got to take a break, though. So in a few seconds, we'll be back. We're talking today with Rick Becker, who is a businessman and plastic surgeon and a member of the North Dakota House of Representatives. He's founder of the Bastiat Caucus of the North Dakota House. And we'll be back to talk to Rick just after this break. 
timely, credible, thoughtful discussion without the partisan outrage. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network. Cut through the smoke and mirrors and see current events through the lens of common sense. Think about how bad things must be at the federal level. For your state politicians to say, we're going to hold a constitutional convention and rewrite the Constitution. In the end, there's only two things we need to do. One, take the time to get right with God and just remember to be kind. The Joe Carey Show, weekday afternoons at 12. America is built and based on liberties and freedoms. Liberty HealthShare brings that to health care. The liberty of choosing your own doctor. The liberty of choosing your own hospital. Liberty HealthShare makes health care affordable to millions of Americans. Ignite your liberty. Sharing plans starting at $199 for a single, $399 for a couple, and no matter how big the family, only $529. That's $529 for the entire family. To learn how you can save, go to LightYourLiberty.com. That's LightYourLiberty.com. Liberty.com. Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 3366 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 3366. Enjoy! Peace Legal, we're a refreshingly different type of law firm. Other law firms charge clients by the minute. Sometimes you're afraid to call your lawyer because you're worried about the cost. Not with Peace Legal. You have the option in most cases between hourly billing and flat fee billing. With flat fee billing, you know how much your case will cost up front. One flat fee, no hidden costs, and no charges to speak with your lawyer. We specialize in family law, adoptions, divorce, prenuptial agreements, and enforcement of custody and support orders. We also work with businesses and nonprofits with planning, contracts, and employment issues. We also handle what we call life law matters. We could all use a little help stretching our food budget. So listen close, because what I'm about to share with you is one of Salt Lake City's best kept secrets. Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse has an astonishing selection of foods purchased from a local food distributor. From fresh produce to restaurant quality sauces, meats, and snacks at prices below wholesale cost. Seeing is believing. Go to the Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse Facebook page and like it and follow them. That's Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse. Welcome back to the Reed Hour. This is Lawrence Reed on the Loving Liberty Network. We're talking today with Rick Becker. Rick is a member of the North Dakota House of Representatives by profession. He's a surgeon and also a businessman. And uh, he's from a state that is typically thought of around the country as one of the more conservative, if not libertarian-minded. But just before the break, Rick, you were telling us that that's not reflected so much uh, in the legislature, where because of revenues stemming from the fracking revolution, uh, North Dakota has experienced under Republican rule 
uh, considerable expansion of government expenditures. How do you explain that? How do these guys get elected and reelected if the people back home want them to spend less? Well, yeah, that's that's the bit of a conundrum because, you know, for, for the most part, people want them to spend less and they'd like to see tax relief. Um, however, there are very few citizens that will specifically denounce their legislator for bringing home money to that specific district. Um, and so, you know, you, there's 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 not as much incentive to do right by the principles as I'd like there as I'd like there to be. Yeah. Um, and, and the problem is that the you know, the, the legislators are there's we're all citizen legislators and everyone is there to do to do good and to do right by their constituency. But the problem is that by and large, not only in North Dakota, but I think across the nation, many don't come there with with a clear set of principles, a clear philosophical compass. And so it's easy to kind of get away because, you know, legislators, we talk out of both sides of our mouth. We say, yes, we're not, we are opposed to um, corporate welfare. And then we will vote for corporate welfare saying that, well, but this isn't really corporate welfare, it's an investment. You know, we, we always find ways out and excuses. And it's, I think, because people don't come in well-grounded. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, so the money has been pouring in North Dakota. We we Larry, I'll tell you, we um, I looked at the numbers, and over the last eleven years, we increased the state aspect. I ignored federal. We ignored we we increased our spa- state spending by one hundred and sixty percent. Wow! And if you and we had growth, population growth because of the oil boom, but per capita spending increased one hundred and twenty two percent. And uh, what, what I pointed out is if we, from 2009, if we would have limited our increases per capita to account for population growth to only inflationary 3% year-over-year increases, we, uh, we could right now eliminate all property tax, eliminate all corporate and personal income tax, and we would still have half a billion dollars, which doesn't sound like a lot, but for North Dakota it is. We'd still have half a billion dollars left to spend on extra stuff. Wow. That is, that if, that you could, help. if you actually did that to uh, with property taxes and income taxes, uh, North Dakota would be such a haven for growth. The whole uh, country would be pouring into North Dakota oh. because of the uh, favorable climate. It, it would be phenomenal. We in North Dakota would see such prosperity, we, we wouldn't even know what to do. I mean, instead, instead of something as bold as that, what we say is, you know what, let's give a tax break to this business if they move to North Dakota or that business. And, and you know, so there's these carve outs, this corporatism, and it's, it's sitting there, right? North Dakota is in, I, I don't know if ever there's been a better opportunity that is has been squandered and continues to be squandered to bring prosperity to a state than what North Dakota has uh, had because of the oil boom. Yeah, I could imagine uh, if you got rid of your income tax and cut or eliminated property taxes, I think that 30 degree below zero cold in February uh, wouldn't be a deterrent to a lot of people. I might even move up there. (laughs) This this problem that uh, you've talked about, Rick, is, is not an uncommon one of people saying, yeah, I want less spending except what uh, the politicians can direct in, uh, toward me. I've heard, uh, or, or my area, I've heard it said that the welfare state 
is uh, a situation where everybody is standing in a big circle and each of us has his hands in the next guy's pocket. How do we put a stop to that? Uh, how do we educate people so that they understand that none of this stuff is free? Well, that's that's really hard. I, I think it's got to be the, the, the biggest thing in my mind is convincing legislators that they need to act as trustees and not as delegates. That, you know, to respect this idea of a, a representative republic, if you will, that we are here to represent the people and what we think is best for the state and for the district and not we're not poll takers. And it's up to us to have these principles, which is good for the entire state or if country if you're in the U.S., uh, Congress, um, and the district. And that we need to rely on that. And if it doesn't work out so well, if we don't don't stay true, true to principle, then we need to then be held accountable at the time of the next election. So that the biggest thing for me is that the citizenry needs to get away from, uh, as an automatic default, re-electing incumbents. You know, yeah. we, we have to somehow educate in that respect to really assess what's been going on. And then we need to help legislators understand that they actually are elected to do how uh, what they're expected as they represented themselves during campaign. And not to go back and not to be wishy-washy, not to be milk toast, not to do the easy thing, but to do the right thing. Now, do you have term limits in North Dakota in the House and Senate? Nope, we don't. Oh, you don't? Okay. Nope. Now, you've made an issue of corporate welfare uh, in your campaigns and as a member of the House. Tell our listeners why you think uh, that is an important issue. Well, I think that, uh, I mean, there are, there are a few things. It's there, there's, there's so much to it. The biggest thing with corporate welfare is, you know, we can go back to what we were discussing with Bastiat and this, uh, what is seen and unseen and the unintended consequences and um, not appreciating, appreciating stage two and three. And I, I think what, what happens is that we have unintended consequences when we do things uh, in the realm of corporate welfare, um, protectionism, subsidies, tariffs, regulations, and so forth, it ends up being more costly. It ends up having a lot of unintended consequences, and it actually delays or prevents a true correction of the underlying problem. So it's it's kind of a, a nasty thing. It's a, it's a double-ended sword. It ends up costing more and hurting people of the state. It, it tends to dis distort the economy, too, doesn't it? Because oh, those who tend to get the subsidies are the uh, politically well-connected businesses, the, the larger ones, whereas the little guy, the upstart, the newcomer, the one who is just trying to get off the ground to compete with the big guy, he usually doesn't get those uh, goodies that the uh, uh, big guys are getting. I uh, fully agreed. You know, I, I wish that a, a review of the first, say, month of a microeconomics course, just a basic one, to Microecon 201, that each each legislator would need to review that because you get those basics, the supply-demand curve and what the things like subsidies that that move the, the spot on the curve and distort the market. And, the, and then when you understand that, you understand the consequences, the negative um, outcome of getting involved like this. Yeah. You know, uh, I think, you know, I ran a think tank in uh, Michigan for about 21 years and corporate welfare was always a big issue. I remember so many people coming uh, to our organization to say, did you hear that the state is giving money to my competitor? 
there was a company from New York State that was coming in uh, called Boar's Head Provisions, a meat company, a processed meats. And uh, uh, the state gave them $5 million in, in direct subsidies, worker training uh, handouts and what have you. And I got a call from a guy in Flint who uh, he was the third generation leader of his uh, meat processing company in Flint. And he said, you know, I've paid all my taxes. I pay to train all my workers. And now the state is using some of my tax money to bring a uh, New York competitor into the state. But the politicians, they show up for the ribbon cutting uh, when the big guy comes in from out of town, but they never show up when the existing firm has to lay somebody off. <laughs> that's a really good point, Larry. That is, and, and that's the way it is for each and everything. There's always some downside that we never hear about. Yep. Again, it, as Bastiat uh, would point out, it's a question of the seen versus the unseen. Very true. Yep. We're talking with Rick Becker, the uh, founder of the Bastiat Caucus of the North Dakota House of Representatives. And when we come back after the next break, Rick, I want to bring up a totally different subject, but one that I know is uh, very near and dear to your heart. You've been working on it. And that is the matter of civil asset forfeiture, uh, the uh, business usually employed in the drug war of police uh, taking property simply under the suspicion it may have been involved in the commission of a crime, even though there may be no conviction, may not even be an indictment. Sometimes the police make off with uh, property simply on the claim that it might have been involved in something illegal. Uh, there's a crying need for reform in that area. You're working on it, and we'll come back to that after the break. use a little help stretching our food budget. So listen close, because what I'm about to share with you is one of Salt Lake City's best-kept secrets. Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse has an astonishing selection of foods purchased from a local food distributor, from fresh produce to restaurant-quality sauces, meats, and snacks at prices below wholesale cost. Seeing is believing. Go to the Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse Facebook page and like it and follow them. That's Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse. Peace Legal, we're a refreshingly different type of law firm. Other law firms charge clients by the minute. Sometimes you're afraid to call your lawyer because you're worried about the cost. Not with Peace Legal. You have the option in most cases between hourly billing and flat fee billing. With flat fee billing, you know how much your case will cost up front. One flat fee, no hidden costs, and no charges to speak with your lawyer. We specialize in family law, adoptions, divorce, prenuptial agreements, and enforcement of custody and support orders. We also work with businesses and nonprofits with planning, contracts, and employment issues. We also handle what we call life law matters. Anyone who has studied history understands liberty doesn't just happen. It requires effort on the part of every generation to understand and live its principles and practices. 
the Loving Liberty Radio Network has teamed up with the National Center for Constitutional Studies to bring you the tools you need to better understand and teach the ideas of liberty. Just go to lovingliberty.net and click on the Freedom Books button. From pocket constitutions to information-packed book bundles all about the founders. The information you need to perpetuate liberty is right at your fingertips. And a generous portion of each sale helps to keep Loving Liberty on the air. Build your library. Build your knowledge. Make the difference you were born to make. Go to LovingLiberty.net and click on the Freedom Books button. That's LovingLiberty.net and click on the Freedom Books button. And now, a quick comparison from Grasshopper. When a client calls, what do you want them to hear? Your personal voicemail? Hey, you've reached Greg's cell phone. Um, I'm away right now, (laughs) obviously. Uh, Leave a message and maybe I'll get back to you. Or something a little more buttoned up, courtesy of Grasshopper. Thanks for calling Green Landscaping. To make an appointment, dial 1. For billing, dial 2. To speak with Greg Smith, dial There's no contest. Put your best voice forward with Grasshopper, the virtual phone system for small business. Try it free at grasshopper.com. America is built and based on liberties and freedoms. Liberty HealthShare brings that to health care. The liberty of choosing your own doctor. The liberty of choosing your own hospital. Liberty HealthShare makes health care affordable to millions of Americans. Ignite your liberty. Sharing plans starting at $199 for a single, $399 for a couple, and no matter how big the family, only $529. That's $529 for the entire family. To learn how you can save, go to Life. LightYourLiberty.com. That's LightYourLiberty.com. We are back on the Reed Hour on the Loving Liberty Network. This is your host, Lawrence Reed, and I'm talking today to Rick Becker, a businessman, plastic surgeon, and also a member of the North Dakota House of Representatives and founder of its Bastiat Caucus named for a great French economist and statesman of the 19th century, Frederick Bastiat, who believed, as Rick does, in limited government and uh, the proper application of the law to be fair uh, uh, to everybody. Well, that brings me to civil asset forfeiture, Rick. We introduced the topic before the last break, and that is a device that's often employed in the drug war whereby police can seize and even keep private property even without a conviction. Tell us about your work on that issue and why it's important to you. Well, about four years ago, I'd say four or five years ago, I first learned about it, frankly. I I knew nothing about it. And uh, when I had learned, and I had learned through the Institute uh, for Justice, Uh, a little bit more about this, and they had ranked the states, and Massachusetts and North Dakota were the only F-ranked states. So that was concerning, but but I I just could not fathom that the state could dispense with your property, forfeit it, and keep the proceeds even if you are not found guilty of a crime. It it just blew my mind, and and literally every non- bureaucrat or law enforcement person that I've spoken with also can't believe it. Um, so I took about wanting to correct that. And um, in the 2017 session, uh, I introduced the civil asset forfeiture reform and um, it passed the house with a lot of maneuvering and fighting, but we did get it passed in the house and then it died a, a very swift and painful death in the Senate. Ah. And, um, 
But what occurred during that time was the education, because a lot of legislators had also never heard of it, and I would say most of the citizenry had never heard of it. So following that session, there were a lot more interviews, um, a lot more awareness. And so I had greater hopes. And then we also crafted a bill which was a, a little bit more North Dakota centric. The other one was a bit of a, a boilerplate. Mm. And so so we brought about uh, wanting to get this reform. And again, we uh, brought it up to the House. And it's a very interesting convoluted story. But essentially, there was a in, in incredible commingling or enmeshment of uh, the executive branch and the legislative branch. Law enforcement essentially rewrote my bill to, uh. fit, to fit their needs um, via, via you know, an, uh, a sort of a faux intermediary with the legislature. So um, it passed and it is now law. And uh, so we have civil asset forfeiture reform. The problem is there's it's kind of missing the reform um, part of that. Ah. So, so as a as a uh, summary, Larry, you know, uh, civil asset forfeiture reform, re I, I think involves really three main things. One is transparency and reporting. A lot of states, there's no idea, there's no accounting for what law enforcement seizes, and then in the court system, what is actually forfeited and why it's forfeited, who who was found guilty, who was not, who was not even charged. There's Nobody has any idea what's going on. So it's important to have transparency. The second thing is a conviction requirement. And that one is, it seems like a no-brainer. You think so? In a yeah. country like the United States, shouldn't there be a con proof that you've done something before your property is taken? <laughs> Absolutely. There, 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 there's only a, a slight shade of difference between um, liberty and property and um, and perhaps no shade. But the the idea that you not only ha don't need to be found guilty, you don't actually even need to be charged, formally charged with a crime, and they will still, can still forfeit your property. So a conviction requirement is the second uh, biggie. Uh, and the third is that whatever monies do come about because, because of forfeiting property, they should go to a neutral fund. Yeah. Because what you don't want is a perverse incentive whereby a, a law enforcement agency knows that if they increase the seizures, they will therefore eventually increase the forfeitures and increase the revenue to their agency um, funds. And uh, especially in t times that are tight, you know, that's that's a bit tempting there. So we want to get rid of that. Yeah. Uh, and, and this bill... Uh, my, my original bill included those three things very, very nicely. What came out was, was a, it, it's just, it's just a, um, it's a cluster. It's really, it's frustrating. And, and the problem is, um, and I could see, it wasn't as though I was fooled, but I was certainly played. And because what happened is legis uh, law enforcement was able to, through, through very willing, um, very, very willing legislators, able to manipulate and change the bill into something that, really doesn't require conviction, although it sort of claims to. Mm -hmm. um, it has reporting, but it's more of an aggregate type report, so you can't really do anything with it. Mm -hmm. And the neutral fund is really not so neutral. It just goes back to the city or county of the seizing agency, and so they just have a one-step process to get back to it. So there's, it, it's it's really an important thing, and it's it's so egregious. It's so antithetical to the idea of freedom and the importance of property rights. And in America, for goodness sake, you would think that this would be something that we wouldn't have to fight about. 
Yeah, I remember this issue came home to me uh, about 20 years ago when the organization I was running at the time in Michigan did a study on asset forfeiture, and when it uh, its findings made it uh, into the newspaper, we were getting calls from people uh, thanking us for doing some work on this and giving us personal examples of how they'd suffered from it. One lady, I'll never forget this, Rick, she called from the Detroit area uh, and she said, my son was driving through part of Detroit. He was pulled over by the cops. Uh, they didn't find anything. They didn't really suspect him of anything. They simply said that he was driving through a known drug area and uh, yet they seized his truck. And on the, on the spot, uh, the policeman said to the, uh, the young man, you've got three options. One, you can do nothing and we'll decide uh, in a matter of time what to do with your truck and get back to you. Or secondly, you can contest it, but then the same cop on the same, at the same moment uh, told the young man that about 80% of asset uh, challenges, asset forfeiture challenges are uh, not won. Uh, by the person doing the challenge. And then the third option was, he said, you can come down to the police station and for $1,300, we'll give you your truck back. I mean, talk yeah. about abuse. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, good for you for working on that. Obviously, uh, more work needs to be done, but I know that your love of freedom uh, will make sure that you continue to come back at that. Uh, in the time we have left, Rick, I want to ask you, now that you've had a few years in politics, uh, uh, but yet you come from the private sector, uh, that's where you've made your living, uh, what is it about politics that you think seems to turn good people into not-so-good people? Or am I imagining that? <laughs> Yeah, well, it sure seems that way. It seems like you, you go in as a good person in politics, the machine churns you out as, as something less than that. But, you know, I've given that a fair amount of thought, Larry. I, I don't think it turns people any which way. I think what it does is it, it reveals what's underneath the surface. Because mm -hmm. what, even, and it's not as though someone is intentionally trying to misrepresent, but, but it's easy to pledge allegiance to various conservative ideals. And it's only when you get get into the process that we find out, were those conservative ideals actually the ideals, the principles that you upheld, or did it sound good? Mm -hmm. Secondly, if you do uphold them, we, we it, it has also revealed, where does that fall on a hierarchy? Is, is popularity and prestige more important? Is power more important? And of course, the only way to actually find that out is given the opportunity to make the decision. And so I think that what politics does is, is just actually reveals what's under the surface. And it, the problem is finding good people that are principled and then have the solid, solid foundations. And more importantly, the lack of accountability because the citizenry doesn't vote them out. And that's where that's where the real problem is. Is there's just no accountability. Um, that's how I see it. So it's a kind of test of uh, what you're really made of. Sooner or later, we find out uh, the answer to that question uh, based upon how you react to all the temptations in office. I guess. Remember, uh, Lord Lord Acton warned us that power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. I always like to add my own corollary to that, and that is that power tends to attract the already corrupted. But, Rick, you are a notable exception, and I'm grateful for it, and I wish we had more politicians like you. What do we have to do to get more like you? <laughs> well, In the I 30 wish seconds we have left. <laughs> yeah, I wish I had that answer. I think what we need to do is is 
folks like you and I that are that are well found in these principles, we have to actually go out and search for people who would be willing to step up that have that hold those same principles are willing to step up and 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 do something to make a difference because there are a lot of people like us but they've got to be able to step up and and take that risk with that let me say thanks to rick becker member of the north dakota house of representatives it's been great to have you on the show today rick yeah it's really been a pleasure thanks larry thank you credible, thoughtful discussion without the partisan outrage. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network.